there is a purpose, a mission, and a future for this church that we will explore in this series, Why Adventism? But before we get to that, we have to acknowledge something from the outset. Along the way, the Adventist church and the people who make up the church have started to do this thing called church in a way that has hurt people, that has failed people, particularly the young, the marginalized, the non-cis white, the gender fluid, the open-minded, the scientifically doubtful, the called women, and many more. So my esteemed friends and colleagues here that are with me and I are going to discuss failure in Adventism from the very outset of this series. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. Happy Sabbath, Praxis family. I invite you all to open up your Bibles, open up your phones, so you can follow me on the screen for tonight's scripture reading. And this is going to be from the book of Matthew, chapter 16, 15 through 19. And it says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on the earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be lost in heaven. I invite you guys to pray with me. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you that we can be here tonight to worship you and to learn about you, God. Lord, we confess that we are sinners and we are in need of a savior tonight. We confess uh, that we are broken and we need to be healed. Lord, we pray, it is our request tonight, that your Holy Spirit would be poured out in this place, that lives would be changed, that people would come closer to knowing Jesus. That is our only goal tonight, God. And Lord, we know that you will do it because your word says so. If we ask, we shall receive tonight, God. And so I ask and I pray that we receive a huge blessing. I pray for the speaker tonight. I pray for the panel. I pray that words are spoken that change lives for eternity, God. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this opportunity um, to be here tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So friends, tonight we are going to have a really, really special time. I have some esteemed colleagues of mine in ministry, some good friends, and we're going to have an honest conversation with you tonight. And so I'm going to invite them to come up here as we share on the very first part of our series. And before we really go any further in this, uh, I just want to just ask them to kind of introduce themselves. And so... They're going to do that right now uh, once we kind of get settled here. But these are, these are people that are dear to me that I believe um, 
will really have something meaningful to share. And so tonight, I'm going to just have them introduce themselves first, and then we'll jump into an opening statement that I have, and we will get into this panel discussion for tonight. So who's this guy right here? I'm just wondering why you're sitting on that. I know. It's kind of tall. Uh, no, no. It's, it looks super uncomfortable. <laughs> um, you okay? I, I'll be okay. I just feel bad that I'm so much taller. I mean, normally I'm that you're, much taller. You're always but, taller, yeah. bro. <laughs> <laughs> My name so is Miguel. So who are you? Who are you, bro? I am Miguel. Okay. That's, is that all, is that no, all we man, need? No, man. Come on. Tell us who what do you, you what are. Do you, Tell us that's, what's, that's a really tell us, tough tell question, Tell us your though, background. Like, tell us what you do. Tell us your social security number. Yeah, I, it's like, you know, who, who you are dated you? when you were a freshman. I'm just kidding. Don't go that far. No, no, no. no. Okay. Who are you? That is the existential question. Okay. I am Miguel. I have the pleasure of working at this church. I work in the area of research, spiritual development, and study. Um, who I dated as a fresh? I don't think I was dating as a freshman. Uh, I, I think I, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, this feels strange. We got to get one of the ladies over I know, here. Like, I know. Are you guys are like you're you're repping over there on that side? All right, all right. All right. I feel safe. Oh wow! Did you hear what she said? I feel safe. Dang. What is that? Oh, you'll explain it later. Okay. Okay. All right. All right, my name is Austin. I work here mostly with you, Philip, but yes. a couple other miscellaneous things. Um, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Looks like some interesting questions that I probably won't have any answers to. <laughs> uh, you're up, Ezrika. Hi, everyone. My name is Ezrika. I. Oh my gosh. Woo. I work or used to work here. I'm one of the young adult elders. I'm a writer and a public speaker. Oh, I'm a writer and a public speaker. Nice, nice. Amazing. I just met her, she's amazing. <laughs> my name is Ronella, and I am just kind of in my second life. In my previous life, I worked for the church, actually, Central California Conference, did a lot of church work, and um, currently I'm a master's student at Cal Baptist doing counseling psychology, and I also do mental health coaching and that's what I'm up to currently. That's awesome. What did you do as in church ministry? Just uh, It was a lot of in literature ministry and evangelism. Yeah. And yeah. so we were training, going all throughout the conference, training church members and um, training students during the summer and preaching and speaking and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So. yeah. so up here you have people who are church men and church women. They've been part of ministry. They're part of ministry but we're going to also say, while we love deeply this church, we're going to also talk about some raw facts and some, some raw reality. And so understand from the very outset, we deeply love our church. Um, but you'll understand where we're going and why. So I'm going to read to you something that I prepared in advance. that I, I want to read to you because I just want to make sure everything is clear as I come across to you tonight. So after I became a Christian at 19, I soon after sensed the call to full-time ministry. I have never looked back. Honestly, I've never looked back besides that one time when I was doing hospital chaplaincy. And uh, I'm sitting there in the ER. I, this is totally not in the script. I just am <laughs> going off. 
I'm sitting there in the ER helping this, you know, woman who's seeing her mother passing away in the in the table, and oh man, it was awful. And the ER tech, the rad tech, comes up to me and is like, as I'm putting my hand on this person, doctor, would you like to see the X-ray? And that was the only moment I said to myself. Deep down inside, I want to say yes with everything within me. Yes, I would like to see it. And could you also explain what I'm looking at? Because I'm a chaplain. Um, but that's completely different. So I've never looked back besides that one random moment. But I also decided to come alongside the Adventist denomination when I made that call to ministry. Because I felt as though from everything that I had read in scripture, my experiences from my season of searching around various religions and denominations, I believe this aligned the closest to what I believed Jesus and scripture called to. I have loved every year that I've been part of full-time ministry, every year, the kingdom work that I get to do as an Adventist minister. I believe God has called this denomination to declare who he is in a way that is unseen or heard right now in the world. There is a purpose, a mission, and a future for this church that we will explore in this series, Why Adventism? But before we get to that, we have to acknowledge something from the outset. Along the way, the Adventist church and the people who make up the church have started to do this thing called church in a way that has hurt people, that has failed people, particularly the young, the marginalized, the non-cis white, the gender fluid, the open-minded, the scientifically doubtful, the called women, and many more. So my esteemed friends and colleagues here that are with me and I are going to discuss failure in Adventism from the very outset of this series. And talking about failure seems a strange place to start a series, doesn't it? But I believe it might just be the best place for us to begin. Because imagine if we are honest, raw, authentic, vulnerable, and just maybe even repentant. Might it just be a humbler and more Christ-like way to talk about why Adventism? You see, Adventism came on the scene with people who were reformers. These people were not called Adventists at first, and their title didn't really matter to them. But they understood that the work of the great reformer, that Reformation theologian Martin Luther in the Middle Ages, wasn't complete. And so Adventist pioneers kept reforming Christianity into what they saw and understood to be a more biblical way, which we're going to explore next weekend in particular. And the beauty of Reformation is that it must start in the heart of every one of us daily but it must also take place institutionally as a denomination as leaders men women all races nations worldwide in the Adventist church to revive a remnant message that the many claim is alive but is dead to those who it hurt and reform a people who they say are perfectly fine but are broken people breaking down others needlessly who never seem to want to come back. So we're going to share responses from the very outset from some questions that we asked this week from friends, people online. 
And some of these are still in the church and others have left. They've walked away. They are real stories, real people. And we asked this question right from the very beginning. Has the church, Adventist church in particular, failed? And what can we do about it? So I'm going to ask my sister Renella to share first some responses that she got to this question. And then I'm going to read some responses um, or rather have maybe even Austin read some of the responses that we got from online from our Instagram page. So, Renella, and then we'll discuss uh, anything that kind of hits us from these responses. Yeah, so there, I got a few responses here that were really interesting that I chose. Um, one person said, zealously answering questions that very few seem to be asking, mm. i.e., fastest way to irrelevance. Yesterday's innovation looks like today's antiquity. We have been essentially driving the same car that hasn't changed in a few hundred years, expecting different results. In large part, we are reduced to judging the effectiveness of the car, not necessarily by how well we are going from point A to point B, but if we even do. Another person said relationships, how to love people in the LGBTQ community, um, man-made standards versus God's actual law, uh, focus less on pointing out sins, more on developing a loving, loving community, and not allowing women in leadership to lead as equal to men. Some heavy comments. Some true comments, too. So I've got a couple here that you gave me, Phil. Um, you posed the question online, how has the Adventist Church failed, and what can we do about it? And here are some of the things people said when they responded to that question. Too much focus on law and order being right versus focusing on love and vulnerability. Uh, two, by forgetting that we are a global community of believers, not a local clique of Christians. Three, it has failed in being known as a church filled with people who reflect the love of God. Too often people refer to Adventists as the people who don't. Since when did Christianity become about tradition rather than the gospel that is salvation through and is shared through love? Uh, four, it's normal to fail. Five, by making religion about following a set of rules in order to be pleasing in God's sight. Six, Adventists don't get involved in politics. The Pope is always meeting other countries' leaders, yet I don't even know who the Adventist president is. What leaders are they meeting with? <laughs> and finally here, I think a preliminary question is, what constitutes failure? Oh, that's a good question. So why don't we just open it up to some of these comments that people made. What are your reflections on what they said? What do you think about how they voiced these frustrations and failures? What, what kind of hits you guys as you hear some of these responses? I think the first thing that hits me is just the general, I mean, obviously we put this question out on Instagram. So we're getting a certain demographics response, which is good, it's the demographic we want, right? It's typically 25, 35, you know, um, around that age. And the, I think the recurring thing that I've seen from some of these responses is that it uh, also seems to reflect a generational difference of, uh, I guess you could say, the current zeitgeist of the world um, versus what theirs, you know, the founders of the Adventist church was before. Yeah. So we're also kind of looking at a, a different way of viewing, a different worldview. So we come into this world with a completely different worldview and we're like, we need to, people want to be validated, they want to be understood, we need to love. Interestingly enough, 
Jesus kind of had the same mindset too way back then, thousands of years ago. But it, it, that, there definitely seems to be a cultural clash, I think, and um, younger people are seeing things that matter more to them and to the world than maybe, uh, you know, that didn't matter as much or wasn't as emphasized years before. Um, I think the thing that comes to my mind is it's not so much that we've failed, because of course we're going to fail. We are all failures. Like, we're very much human beings. We're messed up. We're flawed. To me, the question of, like, what constitutes failure really, like, resonates with me. And from my perspective, it's not that we don't get things right. It's when we realize that we've gotten it wrong, what we do next. And I think that's the thing. It's, of course, like... If we weren't going to fail, we wouldn't need Christ. His grace is sufficient in our weakness. So we hardwired in the core of our being is failure, and that's okay. But I think what a lot of people are saying, or the cry of a lot of people's hearts, is not that we get it wrong. It's that we get it wrong, and we get it wrong again. And when it's brought to our attention, we justify it, and we even outcast those who are willing to talk about it or to push back. So failure in and of itself is a beautiful part of life. It's a necessary part of life. My failures have made me better. The issue is not that we fail. It's that we are complicit. It's that we are silent when we realize we've done something wrong for the sake of defending our own pride. Wow. Austin, Miguel, what do you think about some of these responses that people had to the question? Uh, I think they're pretty pretty standard. I think we hear these things fairly often. Um, I guess I would say there aren't any answers in there that necessarily surprise me. Um, I believe in conversations I've had previously uh, with people to whom I've spoken, this is kind of the general tenor of what we hear when that question is asked. Where do we fail? What are we doing wrong? And this is kind of what we hear. Uh, I think as Rika brings up a really good point uh, in, you know, in the question, like inevitably we're going to fail. I think the important thing is, well, then what do we do? Um, I think the question is also where where are we failing? Because like if we look at church numbers, for instance, we're growing. The church is growing. When you look at uh, world church numbers, at least, that's kind of the way it's trending. Uh, I realize that's not true in, like, the United States or in Europe, but overall, the church continues to grow. Um, so I, I think perhaps that question is more of, like, a geographical thing, like, because something that works... Uh, in Asia or Africa or South America or Europe may not work here in North America or in the United States or in Loma Linda specifically. I wonder if, if we were dying absolutely everywhere, if leadership around the world would change their voice and how they act and the speed at which they change. I mean, if it's like complete, utter denominational death. Um, and yet I'll tell you, just recently a statistic just came out about the Southern Division where we saw explosive growth. And they just did a review of their numbers. They are bleeding. They're bleeding young adults. They're just like flooding out. 
Um, and so some of these divisions that we're like, wow, they are doing so much. They're doing so well. Like, wow, incredible. You're growing exponentially. How do we do that? Even they have the back door just bursting out and people are walking away. It's because young adults are woke. <laughs> what do you mean by that? What's, what's, what's the point of that in this discussion? You know how like you can tell the failings of a previous generation by like what their like offspring are passionately against, right? Like so we've, we, everyone, it happens in society all the time, the pendulum swing, where one generation is super strict, so then the next generation is super very not strict. This generation, like a lot of our parents and grandparents, they just accepted things. And at some point we're like, why, why? Like the question I feel like of our generation is why? Why do I have to? Why do I want to? Like that deep existential search. I'm not just doing this because this is what my mom told me anymore. And it's scary because like change, change is like already a jarring thing, but to push back on someone who is very used to just like whatever they're saying like is taking at face value and done, they, like there's a clash between the generations, but we're so strong on why, and if you can't give me a good enough answer, I'm going to find it somewhere else. And so I think that, yeah, like we're a woke generation in every sense of the word. Sometimes to our own detriment, but like I actually think it's a beautiful thing because faith is not supposed to just be uh, like routine. You are supposed to know why you are doing everything you are doing. Like you, it, you, it's a relationship. You're not, it's not happening to you. You're engaging in it. Mm. So you should know your why. Good point. Miguel, what do you think about this? some of these responses, some of the discussions so far? Well, there's there's a lot of uh, really complex language that we use, that we typically utilize. So let me try to simplify it. Regardless of the generation that you come from, every single one of us has a, a narrative, this meta-narrative that we've told ourselves. Whatever, if, if you're a, if you're a, if you're a Gen Xer or a, millennial or a mosaic or a boomer or a mature, we are born and birthed through these narratives. The problem that, that we have as a denomination is that sometimes our meta-narrative is conducive to bleeding people. Because if inherent in your narrative is that you are special and that you are elect, and that if people leave, that means they're not special and they're not chosen, then you're going to take the bleeding as part of kind of God's ultimate movement upon the church. And so I think one of the things that we need to do if we truly are woke is we need to start asking this, ourselves the question about what narratives, what stories are we telling each other? What things are we, do we believe? So it's, it's really easy to look back at um, the church, for example, in the 1800s and say, and they, they just, they got so much wrong. But I, I, I think maybe it's because I'm getting older or maybe it's because I have, I have children now. Or more gray hair. A lot more gray hair. Have you noticed that? <laughs> yeah, I'm just, just a little. Do you talk about like just before? I used to talk about existential with uh, existentialism with Jean-Paul Sartre and other stuff. And now it has to do with my hair. <laughs> um, so, 
when we talk about people that are that are dividing or people that are not as embracing or people that are not welcoming to to people from a different political view or from a different sexual orientation we typically feel like those people have this evil dark agenda the reality is they're not um, adventism itself was not a, a movement that was predominant among people that were empowered or that were influential. It was, a, it was a movement of people that had been destitute, that had been marginalized. And when you are marginalized, when you have no experience with power and control, the moment that you taste a little bit, what tends to happen is you become hermetic. You try to guard it and protect it because you know what it means to be excluded and to be marginalized. So this movement to, to closing and to being extremely, whether, whether, that be, whether you want to call it judgmental or single-minded or um, exclusive, what, what it really is is a desperate attempt to try and guard the little bit of influence that, that you still have. The secret is out. The world is changing. And the question that all of us are going to have to answer, regardless of your political view, regardless of your faith system, regardless of your personal narrative, the question that you are going to have to answer is, does faith still have a role to play in our modern discourse? Mm -hmm. That's the big question. And the, the answer is, at least you guys are here because you believe that the answer is yes. And so instead of looking at other generations as the enemy, really what you need to start, what we need to start trying to do is trying to find ways to bridge that chasm because they're trying desperately to answer that same question. And so the invitation when we talk about failure typically is about dividing us and them and the mistakes that were made. I'd like just to caution us, if, if we truly are going to be this better version of the church, then it's going to be up to you to be bridge builders. It's going to be up to you to answer the question, does faith, does God still have a place in, in American modern discourse? And if so, what does that conversation look like? Thank you, Miguel. So I want to hear your response to one of the Instagram followers on Praxis Ministry. And if you don't follow us yet, make sure you do that right now. Um, this is one that we haven't read yet, and it comes from a different perspective. So I want to hear how you would respond to this. In my opinion, the church as the body of Christ has not failed us. People will always disappoint, but I strongly believe the Adventist church and the mission we stand for we are the church that will stand to the end of time. What do we do when people fail us? Look back at the mission, the vision, the disappointments that drove our movement. Study the, our Bibles like never before. Pray in faith. Look at the cross. Let self and pride be crucified and buried. And remember that righteousness is ours through faith in an unfailing Savior. Well, I, you know, I think that comment kind of comes from a place uh, that Miguel was just like unpacking for us in a way. Uh, 
there's a phrase in there, you know, we have the truth. And I think that can be a really dangerous thing to say because <laughs> the truth is I believe what I believe because I think it's true, right? But the hope is that my ego isn't so big that I actually think that everything I believe has to be true. Uh, there is inevitably somewhere where I am failing or something that I believe that has to be wrong. If you're playing just like a pure numbers game, that has to be true. There's no way everything I believe and everything I think is correct. Good point. Therefore, to say that kind of thing plays very much an us and them game. I think you see that a lot in Adventism when we talk about things like the remnant and so forth. It's just very divisive. Furthermore, in the United States, in Western culture in general, but specifically in the United States, we are a very individualistic culture. You know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, it's me versus the world. I am here to win. And there are advantages to individualism, certainly. But we are so, so far from being a collectivist culture like the one we find in the Bible that we miss out on a lot when it comes to being a community of believers. Mm. And believe me, <laughs> we don't have nearly as many things unique to our denomination as most Adventists think. We have maybe one or two like unique beliefs, but everything else we believe, someone else believes it too. So don't get it in your head that we're special because we have this big set of beliefs that's just us. That's just objectively false. Mm. So... Yeah, I think that's just very much like an us versus them type of thing. When I uh, saw that comment, um, and if you wrote that comment, I still love you. When I, when I saw that comment, the first thing that came to my mind is like, this person. This what? <laughs> this individual may be someone of privilege. Because I think the story of failure is most often told from the lens of the marginalized. Mm. It's told from the lens of the outcast. Like, Black Lives Matter, just like within the last year, there are so many times in my personal, like, uh, like you know how on Facebook you have your set of friends? I mean, I went to an HBCU, so all my friends are blackity black, right? Like, they're fully, just entirely black. And just the various issues that are discussed on my Facebook page are so vastly different from the issues that are discussed here. Like, mm. the things that we consider are very different because they pertain specifically to, like, us if that makes sense. And the same would apply to you. Like if you went to a different school or if you're from a different country, you'll have more input specific to your culture and background. During that time, like I had to get off of social media because I feel like I was in a constant state of panic. Mm. And there are so many times that I sat back and I was like, why is my church so silent? Wow. And there's something so dehumanizing about going through hell and the people that you want to be there to support you, the people that are saying, hey, we love God and we love you, are absolutely silent. Mm. That's a failure. In that way, in, in that capacity, the church has failed, like, my community. And there are other communities, like, the, the, uh, there, are t there are many areas, I think, that the church has failed. But again, this actually isn't bashing the church. This is just acknowledging that we are flawed people on a journey to a perfect savior. Mm. 
to me, they're not mutually exclusive. Like we get to be failures and still get to be trying. Wow. I think that I think is an important thing. Like not like they those two concepts can be conflated. But now not everyone would be willing to say that because they say you failed, you're done, it's over, I'm leaving. And that's why the do you still stand on this stage in this church <laughs> as an elder? Like why didn't you just walk away? Because I really love God. Like at the end of the day, like I genuinely feel like life sucks. Life is tough. And we can all agree to that. And I found something that offsets that, right? I'm not Adventist for Adventism. I'm Adventist because this is where I found Christ. And again, like in doing my research, a lot of the doctrines and a lot, of, not all, for sure not all, they, 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 they match with what I've personally found. And so to me, who would I be if I found peace and I don't tell someone else? Mm. That's why I'm still here. Not because Adventists are perfect. They're very not. They're like, we are not perfect. But because there's something greater. It's more than Adventism. It's salvation. Mm. It's eternity. And mm. so as long as God has me here, I will speak and proclaim his name. But yeah, I don't think that... Um, this per like seeing this, the church absolutely has failed. But that's the beautiful thing is because we are failures, we are reminded of how much we need the perfect savior. Mm. Yeah. So I I want us to to pause for a moment and try to define define some con some concepts because it's important to define concepts. When I say the church, I don't mean an office in Silver Spring, Maryland. Mm. That's not the church. To be sure, if you're talking about the, in, in the institution, the institution has failed. But the church, as a body of believers who are asking the question, how do we restore and recognize the image of God in our fellow human beings, that hasn't, that hasn't failed. Every single change forward for equality and justice in the 20th century was led by the church. And, the chur and, and by, by church, I don't mean the institution. The reality is the institutions always pushed back against it. But people like you, the church, manage those changes. When we talk about Adventism and when we ask the question, why do I still believe in Adventism? When I talk about Adventism, I don't, talk, I don't mean the institution. I don't mean the 28 fundamental beliefs. I don't mean the building. I don't mean the Loma Linda University Church. The word Adventism comes from this Latin word, which is Adventus. It simply means to come. And I am an Adventist because I believe in a God who comes. I believe in a God who comes and then pushes us to ask the question, how do we respond responsibly to what God is already doing in the world? Mm. If you believe in, and if this commenter believes in the church in that sense, then absolutely, I think that the church will stand. I, I think that the church does have the truth. I don't think that the truth is propositional. I think that the truth is a person. And as long as the church grasps onto the person of Jesus Christ, then we have the truth. Mm. And as long as we're asking ourselves the question, how do we respond responsible to what Christ is already doing, then we, we cannot fail. Mm. The stakes are too high. You cannot fail. The institution is going to do what the institution does. 
you are the church. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I love that. And I think um, something that came to mind was just whenever we have these conversations about what's wrong in Adventism, there's always this feeling of like, oh, wait, but don't say too many things that are bad because, you know, we, we're, we still love the church. We're still part of it. We, you know, and there's just kind of this, this uh, a little bit of this anxiety, like, oh, no, don't say that we don't like it. Like, you're not leaving, right? And it's just this kind of fear. Mm. And if, if this was like a business, you know, if, if Philip was the CEO of this tech company in the Silicon Valley and you came to us and our organization wasn't hitting the mark, we, you wouldn't ask us, what are all the great things we're doing right, and let's just talk about that for the next hour. We would be like, hey, th these are the things that aren't going well. What can we do about it? Wow. This is, you know, this Goodness is where we strange. didn't hit it this month. This is what we're going to do. And it's strategic. Wow. It's not meant to say we're just going to throw the whole thing out. It's like, no, we actually believe in our product. We believe in our service. We believe we're helping the world. But how can we do that more effectively? Mm. And so that is in my opinion, why I'm still here. Mm. And just to be honest, like I was in, I was so deeply in the ministry and doing so many things. And I came to a point where I had to almost just drop everything because I, I started asking why. Because for so long, it was just, we do it just because. And, and we have all of these, these things lined up where, you know, I grew up Adventist, I was born into a pastor's family. Like, I just know how to be an Adventist so well. <laughs> so I, I had to come to a point where I was like, why am I even doing this? And I, I realized, and I wrote some of these things down because Adventism soon became to me something that was, when I thought of Adventism, I thought fear-driven, mm -hmm. shame-driven, mm -hmm. behavior-driven, mm -hmm. outward appearance-focused, mm -hmm. black and white thinking, superiority complex, us versus them religion. Mm. And that's what it had become to me, and it was painful for me to experience it, and painful for me to see other people experiencing it, my friends experiencing it in the church. And so I had to learn, how can I undo these things in my own mind, where I'm not an Adventist because out of fear. You know, I, I don't mind saying, hey, I don't know all the truth. That's kind of a scary thing because we've been told we have to be the ones that know all the truth and you all don't know the truth and we know the truth. So how do we start getting out of that mentality mm. and just accepting that we're also human? Mm. We're Adventists, but we're human and mm. we can err. Who's to say that we know everything about all, you know, about God and everything in the world? I mean, that's anyway. So um, that type of thinking, I think, is what we need to start addressing in our personal lives um, because... Again, as a generation, we are we we look at things differently. We want people to be authentic. Yeah. That is our, our biggest thing. We want to be authentic. We right. don't want to be we don't want to be fake. And we don't want you to be fake. And we don't want to be part of a church that's fake. So let's be authentic. Mm. And in order to do that, we need to actually start addressing some of these types of uh, underlying beliefs, like the shame and behavior-driven types of things. Mm. And I think to piggyback on that, because like time is limited and we don't know that we'll ever kind of get this opportunity again. I'm like a person that believes in speaking life, right? So since we are here and you mentioned some of these like shame driven and like them versus us mentality, I think for those of you, and I don't know your personal story or your experience, but there I'm sure someone in here has been hurt whether it's by family or, or church or the other, the person next to you, like the proverbial person, like uh, someone in this, denomination has hurt you, whether it's over purity culture, like you were told that you were worthless because 
you, you lost your virginity before marriage, whether it was social justice, you were told because of silence that your, your race, whether it's Black Lives Matters or Stop Asian Hate, like you don't matter as mm. much. Whether you were told that your unique gifts and talents don't match that of the church. Like Pastor Miguel said it so beautifully, the truth of the matter is I am the church. He's the church. We yeah. are the church. Yeah. And sometimes it's so easy when like you've been fed the lies of the devil. Like you've been told that because you are different and you don't look like the norm, something is wrong with you. Mm. But that's not the way God sees you. And sometimes it's so easy to internalize that and carry that with you. But what I want to challenge you with tonight is if you've been hurt, chances are there is someone here that's been hurt the same exact way. Mm. And I challenge you almost as you journey through the process of healing and, and seeing yourself through the lens of God, not this denomination, not religion, not through the lens of the, a father who died for you, reach out to the next person. Tell them the things you've discovered because that's the only way mm. that we, we get to, to do change. I'm so passionate about things like purity culture because I've watched it rip so many beautiful women apart and mm. men, but I'm more specifically passionate about women. So that's the story I can tell. I can tell you that you are enough despite what decisions you've made. That's the story I can tell with every fiber of my being. There is a story you can tell mm. because undoubtedly you have experienced God in the purest form. So irrespective of the failures of this church, like find Christ in the midst of that. And when you do know someone else is hurting the same way you are and your words and your experience may be the reason they are able to journey further, not to being better Adventists, but to being closer to the heart of God. Mm. Wow, wow, wow. So now what do we do individually what do we do in the light of these failures collectively? What do we do for the marginalized, those who are feeling as though they're not represented racially, those who are of different gender and they feel excluded, those who have felt like they're just weird and they're not accepted in church? Just in general, what do we do then for those who've been hurt, those who've been left to put aside? What do we do as a community? So there's a story in scripture. Every pastor, by the way, has his or her going away sermon. And it's kind of when you say, this is it. This is what I really believe. Here you go. Deal with it. And then you leave because you're going to get fired. Um, so mine is, uh, is a story that you find in, in Israel's early desert dwelling experience. So the people of God have failed miserably. And God, for some reason, says, you know what? I've had it. He looks at Moses. He says, I've had it with these people. I'm done. Moses, we're going to kill them all. And I'm going to start with you, new. And you know what Moses says? Moses says, God, don't do that. If you do that, the Egyptians are going to say that you took these people into the desert to kill them. Actually, don't write their name out of the book of life. And if you have to write somebody's name out, Right, mine. Wow. The Adventist church for 160 years has been too concerned with who gets written in and who gets written out. What do we do? We change the narrative. We say we are serious as a denomination and as a people 
about the art of intercession. And that means that we go to God and we say, Lord, do not take them out of the book of life. And if you're going to do that, take me first. Do not take the transgender, the Republican, the forgotten, the one who abuses, the one who continues being patriarch. Don't take them out of the book of life. Take us. We are serious about the business of intercession. And it's difficult, church. It's difficult because I want to believe and align myself with people that I agree with. And God is telling me, your job is to go intercede for people who you don't agree with. For people who are going to be on the other side of the aisle. So that's what we do. Oh, that'll preach. <laughs> that's a good going away. <laughs> don't hopefully, go anywhere. hopefully you're don't not, go not go leaving anywhere. yet. <laughs> don't go anywhere, bro. Um, yeah, I mean, you ask a great question, Philip. You know, how, what do we do? with the marginalized, those who feel like they have been pushed to the edge or to the side or underneath. And I think I would say that it is important, as I have been taught at least, to understand their longings and their losses and to have the ability to lament together. Because without that reality, you cannot really truly come to know somebody. Quick straw poll. How many of you have been sad for literally any reason in the last month? Yeah, see? So, now, I cannot truly come to know you without knowing your longings and your losses. And we cannot become a community without knowing those things. So, if we're going to do that, and we're, if we're going to listen to the people in our community who are marginalized and who are pushed to the edge, we have to know that first. We have to understand where that comes from. Otherwise, you know, the listening is just another exercise that will get checked off a list, and then we won't think about it again. And I think Jesus was the greatest example of that. He came down and embodied human flesh to understand what it was like so that he can relate in every single way. And, um, yeah, I just think that we don't actually understand. At the end of the day, when we ask the question, did we fail, um, we have to know what the goal was in the first place to know if we failed. And I just don't think we've actually clarified the goal as a, as a denomination in general. For some people on one side, it'll be, we need to, you know, people need to have a theological assent to, to these things. Other people, it's the baptism numbers. Other people, it, you know, and, and I just think that we don't know what what love actually means, because love, um, you know, it, it, it can't, you can't love without freedom of choice. And so what we try to do is we do the analogy of, of like, well, I, if I, I really loved someone, I would push them out of the way if the truck was coming. And so we try to like pound people with knowledge and pound people with like, oh, it's because I love you. You shouldn't be wearing that. It's because I love you. Why are you wearing those things? Why are you doing those things? I just, you know, and, and deep down, it's like, I don't want you to go to hell. That's why I'm telling you all these things. But it's very... It's very, like, the way that it comes across is not loving at all because it's forceful. You're trying to manipulate. You're trying to guilt. You're trying to get someone to, to do something because you believe if they don't, then a negative consequence is going to happen. But love is all about a process. 
It's all about freedom. If you don't want to live the way I do, and if you would rather because you don't understand right now or because you genuinely don't want to live the way I live, that's okay. I still am going to love on you and love you because that's what Jesus did. So, And, and I think also, like, oh, no. <laughs> to answer the question of, like, what we do, um, how can you teach if you haven't learned it yourself? Like, I think a part of being the church and not just talking about change, but actually creating change starts with your personal journey. It starts with your personal relationship with God. It starts with your personal relationship with yourself. I think there's such an undeniable power of your story. Like get to know God and yourself so well that you're able to teach others how to do the same. So much pain will be alleviated when the true source of your worth is like between you and God first. Then all these other irrelevant opinions with people telling me what I should look like and yada, yada, yada fades away because I am who God says I am. And that's how we change the world is being so authentic and so true to our journey and our story. We're effervescent and people see hope and joy and light, which is ultimately they see Christ. So I say for us to change the world, let's start by changing ourselves or working with God, letting God change us from the inside out and then being absolutely unapologetic about it. Amen. Give these guys a round of applause. It's awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Really, really appreciate this. I want to just give some kind of closing remarks here. You know, it's interesting. There's someone that we didn't introduce tonight that I'm going to introduce, and her name is Ellen White. You know, she gives a really beautiful picture and vision for this discussion. And I'm just going to read a little bit from the very first chapter of a book called Acts of Apostles. Read that chapter. It's not too long, and it's, it's really, really, really good and informative in this discussion. Let me just read you just a few excerpts from it. And it starts with the ideal. Listen to this. The church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men and women. It was organized for service, and its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. From the beginning, it has been God's plan that through his church shall be reflected to the world his fullness, his sufficiency. The members of the church, those whom he has called out of darkness into his marvelous light, are to show forth his glory. The church is the repository of the riches of the grace of Christ. And through the church will eventually be made manifest, even to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, the final and full display of the love of God. Ephesians 3.10. God chose Israel to reveal his character to men and women in the world. He desired them to be the wells of salvation to the world. To them were committed the oracles of heaven, the revelation of God's will. But now listen to reality. But... The people of Israel lost sight of their high privileges as God's representatives. They forgot God and failed to fulfill his holy mission. The blessings they received brought no blessing to the world. All their advantages they appropriated for themselves and their own glorification. They shut themselves away from the world in order to escape temptation. 
the restrictions that God had placed upon their association with idolaters as a means of preventing them from conforming to the practices of the heathen, they used to build up a wall of separation between themselves and the other nations. You catch this, us versus them. They robbed God of the service he required of them. And they robbed their fellow men and women of religious guidance and a holy example. The Savior turned from them to entrust to others the privileges they had abused and the work they had slighted. God's glory must be revealed. His word must be established. Christ's kingdom must be set up in the world. The salvation of God must be made known to the cities of the wilderness and the disciples were called to do the work that the Jewish leaders had failed to do. I am concerned that that might happen to us. I am concerned that we too might have just built up so many walls, so many barriers, so many us versus them, so many exclusions that God too might look a different way. Now, I'll tell you, I believe in this denomination. I believe in the mission of this, this group that I have been part of all my life and that I, I truly believe I will remain in. But I believe that we also must be honest with where we've let the banner of Christ down. And until we do that, until we repent and we say, there's space for you too here. Amen. We are going to try and stand in Christ's judgment seat and find ourselves rather in an illusionary space because we are not the judge, nor are we the victor. Jesus is the judge and he is the winner. And we we are honored to even get a seat at the table. And unless we take a humble approach to faith, we will find ourselves potentially somewhere else. So what do you do with truth then? We're left with this tonight. What do you do with truth then? Do you just simply say, hey, listen, it doesn't matter what you believe. You're all in. Guess what? It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what Jesus thinks. And it matters that you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and that you're in tune with the Word of God where He can speak to you. And He can call you. And He can encourage you. And He can say, Sister, brother, Look at me. This is who I need you to be. Like me. It isn't my place to say you're in or you're out. My place is, as my friends said in these responses, to be honest, to love, to hug, to be part of, and to warmly welcome everyone who walks through that door regardless of who they are. Regardless of the choices they've made, regardless of the differences of opinion that we have when we talk about Scripture, because they're included here too. Is this the hospital for sinners? 
Or is this the club for saints? Supposed saints. Because the problem is, week after week, I talk to young adults, and I know what happens after they leave church. I know what you do during the week, because I know myself. I know what I do when I leave. I know who I am when I go home. And sometimes I'm ashamed of myself. And guess what? This is what we all have to do. God, I need you. Our church needs you right now. My friends are walking away left and right. And Jesus, I still feel as though this place, there's something beautiful here. There's something special here. There's something you're wanting to do here, Lord. I want them to be part of that. But God, along the way, along this journey, Jesus, would you help us, me, to be humble and to know I too am a sinner saved by grace and I too can stand in between as you did so that I can be a bridge to the broken and hurting that they too might know they have a Savior who loves them and a community who will stand beside them. In Jesus, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church Podcast. We really are excited for where we're going and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there on a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment. It makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.